Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Uh, If this is your first time here, my name is Jason. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at City Collective, and we say it every week. uh, Wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not really sure about Jesus at all, uh, we hope that this is a safe place for you. Uh, We wholly believe that there is space for you wherever you might be. As I mentioned, we are at the end of our current series, which is taking us uh, through the gospel according to Matthew. We'll be coming back to it. This current portion that we're in is going to land at the end of the Beatitudes, this opening foray into Jesus' most famous sermon. And the Beatitudes, it's been really wonderful. We've heard from different voices over the course of, of the series, from the different portions and ideas that have been shared. I think they've been meaningful from different perspectives to hear how the words of Jesus speak and and they impact us and they begin to shape us from the inside out. And this week, we're closing it off with uh, perhaps the most curious, confusing of of statements. The, The passage is interconnected all the way through. And so what we've done every week is we've read the entire passage and so we're gonna do so today again. Uh, If you could just join me in reading, you can follow along on the screen in behind uh, from Matthew 5, 1 through 12. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Of all the Beatitudes, this final one that we'll be looking at today probably invokes the most consternation and confusion. Doesn't seem to have the same perhaps a street appeal, as, as the other ones do. It's the most unsettling. And even when I think about it for myself, I'm not sure if I can fully buy into it at first glance, let alone be, be happy about it. We've talked about the idea, this word blessed is not just simply this idea of divine favor, but it's this congratulatory message. It's this celebration. It's this idea of be happy for these things are true. But I don't know if I can be happy about this idea of, uh, of being persecuted. Criticism makes me feel a certain way. I'm a words person, so criticism makes me feel a lot of ways, I should say. So persecution does not seem like high up on the list of something I would be happy about. I don't know about you. I think I gladly receive comfort when I'm mourning, mercy when I show it, and to be a child of God when I bring peace. And I'll even lean into being humble and rejecting pride, but 
persecution I'm not so sure about. And it's interesting that this, this final portion of the Beatitudes, it would seem unlikely that this is Jesus' primary recruitment strategy for a new religious leader to suddenly gain followers. Hey, you're going to follow me and persecution's coming your way. Be happy about it. This, this, is, this is the ultimate opportunity for you. Let me tell you, three, three ways to get persecuted. Follow me, follow me, follow me. Then it's going to happen. But yet, I think there's an, there is intentionality in what Jesus is saying and how he's saying it to make me believe that there is immense meaning and purpose behind the statement. This final blessing, this final grouping is gifted the kingdom of heaven. The, the same thing, and if you might have noticed it, they're gifted the kingdom of heaven, the same thing that those who are poor in spirit are gifted at the first beatitude. The conclusion of the Beatitudes brings us all the way back around to where we began, as if to say that we receive the kingdom, and when we em embrace it internally, we find humility, and we embrace it externally, we experience conflict. Because the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, comes to all of us. It's bookended the Beatitudes. And it's as if Jesus is trying to emphasize this over and over again. I want you to know in the midst of all these ideas and elements and themes, first and foremost, that I am with you. That no matter what you may be facing, the divine meets you where you are and you are to be reminded of his love. Because this is the power of grace, that grace is what saves us. Grace is what sanctifies us in this world. Because the Beatitudes, they aren't a guidebook on how to get to heaven, but rather they're a picture of what, what earth looks like when heaven invades it. And I think this is something that we need to hear, that we need to be reminded of. I know I need to. And this final beatitude, it doesn't just bookend the passage with the same promise of the kingdom of heaven. It actually reiterates it at the end. This final beatitude is the only one where it gives a double beatitude. It's as if Jesus is saying, please remember. When you turn the other cheek and you're humble. When, when persecution comes your way. When life feels unfair, I have not forgotten you. I love that in the final beatitude, Jesus, he emphasizes this over and over again. And I don't know if you noticed that there was a change in pronoun for this final beatitude. The entire time, it's blessed are they. But in this final beatitude, Jesus turns his attention to his onlookers. I want you to picture this with me. He's sitting on this mountainside and he's looking out amongst this group of, of likely not highly educated, not highly elevated in society. Those who are, are poor and powerless like we sang about this morning. And he's looking at them and he's saying, blessed not are they, saying blessed are you. Blessed are are you. He speaks to them directly for the first time. Frederick Buechner, he, he outlines this as all these individuals are, are looking out towards him and they're trying to make sense of it and their brows are furrowed with concentration and they're hearing this. They are blessed when they are worked over and cursed out on his account. And Jesus is telling them, 
It's not his upcoming hard times that he's most concerned about, but it's theirs that he's concerned with. So why does any of this matter? I think sometimes it's hard to receive the blessing if we have forgotten who gives it. We hear, blessed are the persecuted, and I don't know about you, but my mind immediately goes to who? Me. I don't want to be persecuted. But we have to remember who's making the statement, who's giving the blessing, because it seems pretty tough to be blessed when persecution seems to be on the other side. And I think this is important to note as well. It's important to note the reason for the persecution. I think we can be really quick to dismiss this verse because of how we've experienced persecution to be played out or to be said is being played out around us. That there's a manner in which some of those who claim to be persecuted have acted. Daryl Johnson, he actually talks about making this important distinction. That Jesus is not blessing those who are obnoxious in their peacemaking. Jesus is not blessing those who are tactless or insensitive in bearing witness to the world. Jesus is not congratulating those being unkind and narrow-minded. And Jesus is not not congratulating the thrill-seeking confrontationalists and those with a victim complex. Let's get this really clear. This is not the persecution that Jesus is talking about. Jesus is blessing those who find themselves in trouble because of righteousness and because of him. People often forget when they hear this verse, this part, because of righteousness. They just say, blessed are those who are persecuted. And they outline all aspects of persecution and they justify their action because of this beatitude. This is not what Jesus is saying. He's saying because of righteousness and because of him. There are those who claim to be followers of Jesus who do things not in the spirit of Jesus, and yet they view themselves as a persecuted religious minority. This is not biblical persecution. If the life of an individual is not reflective of the things of Jesus, We are not being persecuted like Jesus. We are being persecuted for our own selfish gain. I'm talking about what Jesus is pointing to why persecution will happen because of righteousness. And and let's, let's swing it to the other side as well. Persecution is happening in the world around us. Persecution is a real thing. On this date, November 20th, 2022, within our Western sensibilities, we can sometimes think persecution doesn't really happen. More than 200 million disciples of Jesus in over 60 different countries around the world are denied basic human rights because they name Jesus as Lord. Persecution is a real thing. So here's the question that the beatitude is actually leading us towards. Why is being persecuted something that Jesus congratulates? 
And I think the key to understanding the blessing of persecution is to understand why it comes. We already mentioned it. It's because of righteousness. Therefore, Jesus is saying righteousness is going to bring you into conflict. And we talk about righteousness often here at City Collective and the language of righteousness being a little bit foreign, perhaps within our normal uh, circles and the way that we speak. But we outline it very simply as right relationship. Righteousness is right relationship. But I wonder, when I say right relationship, does conflict come to your mind? Is that how you think about righteousness? When we define it as right relationship, I wonder if we actually have our imagination wander to peaceful, restful relationships. We're like, oh, it's going to be so nice. And we think about that fairy tale that we, we, we skip the middle part. Cinderella's with her stepmother and, and evil stepsisters, and then suddenly she's already the, the princess. And we skip all of the conflict in the middle in our mind. And that's kind of how we treat righteousness sometimes in how we perceive it. We think right relationship and we just get really comfortable with it. But Jesus is saying that if you are going to pursue right relationship, which is of me, you will actually be putting yourself in the path of conflict. So what is righteousness? The simplest definition is about right relationship, and it can be probably defined as an action that you do which creates or maintains right relationships between two parties. In English, we have a phrase, someone did right by someone else. When one side of a relationship is threatened, to do right by them is to be faithful in your treatment of that person, to fulfill the way that you ought to behave in that relationship. So there's all kinds of ways to be faithful in, in, in marriage, in family, in a community, in a city. And God is righteous in the Bible. He is faithful in the Bible, meaning God does right right by his promises and right by his word. God does right by his people who are in relationship with him. And this word righteousness is also even used in the, in the court of law. Your, your neighbor accuses you of stealing, stealing their donkey. We'll go biblical on it. Uh, stealing your donkey. And then a, a jury makes the decision that no, you didn't. They actually deem you righteous. The judge deems you righteous. In, in the Jewish imagination of the word righteousness, the two ideas of righteousness and justice are actually inseparable. They're, they're almost one and the same. Therefore, when I'm talking about this idea of right relationship, I'm not just talking about your neighbor next door or your coworker that you're like, I got to get right with. We're talking about the grander call for followers of Jesus to the world in which we live. He's talking about rightness corporately together in the world. And in English, this is called justice. So think about all of these ideas and therefore think about what Jesus is saying. He's saying, blessed are people who have this deep, unmet longing to see justice happen in the world. Blessed are people who have this deep, unmet longing to see justice happen in the world. And if you're hungering and thirsting and longing for it, does it exist in the world? Well, perhaps not in the way that you desire it. In some ways, you assume that it's not there. So how blessed are people who look out in the world and see wrecked relationships in every level 
and it bothers them to their very core, and they can't just sit there, and so they do something about it. That's what Jesus is saying in this moment. Jesus is saying, you are the blessed ones because you notice something that I notice. That all is not well. And here's the beautiful thing. God is doing something about it through Jesus. Because the scripture says the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is yours. And the kingdom is Jesus. So right relationship, righteousness. And Jesus cannot be separated because he is righteousness in the flesh. So when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we're actually hungering and thirsting for for Jesus. This is why being persecuted is a mark of the kingdom. For one basic reason. It's the same reason Jesus handed himself over to death in the upper room in downtown Jerusalem. That if the world says Jesus, and by world I mean he like human society organizing itself without God. If the world hates Jesus, it will hate you. That's what Jesus says. John 15, 18 outlines that if I've experienced persecution and you choose to follow me, persecution will follow you. This is a difficult reality. Remember the words that I spoke to you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And this is hard. Because immediately we think to ourselves, well, I don't want to be persecuted. Sounds awful. This is the worst sales pitch to ever become a follower of anyone. But remember why the persecution that's happening is because of righteousness. When we work for justice in the world, when we work for that, it will upset the status quo and that will threaten some people. So we can expect persecution like Jesus when we live like Jesus for the sake of righteousness. So let's take, let's take it another step. Uh, why was Jesus himself persecuted? Because when we look at the scriptures, uh, the prophet Isaiah, he talks, talks about how lovely are the feet of him who brings good news, who brings shalom. Why would we persecute the person bringing us good news? Why would we hate on the person who brings us peace and shalom? Why why would we approach it that way? Why would anyone want to get rid of a man healing, overcoming the powers of evil, reconciling people and families, and welcoming them into his? Because Jesus wasn't going around and just trying to stuff the gospel down people's throats. What was Jesus doing? He was just going and living out righteousness. Why was Jesus, the righteous one, persecuted? So I'm going to give us three reasons this morning. Righteousness is transformational. Righteousness is confrontational. And righteousness is inspirational. All these things happen in Jesus' story. 
First, righteousness is transformational. I want you to think of it like this. It's a radioactive spider. It's, it's the opening for every Spider-Man movie, all 14 renditions of it that have come out in the last 20 years, where Peter Parker is just a regular old kid, and then he gets bitten by that spy, spider, and then suddenly everything changes. He gets strength and abilities beyond what he had before. And I think righteousness is kind of like this spider. Righteousness is experienced by us, unrighteous, as either a blessing or a threat. What was the initial response of, of every Peter Parker to that radioactive spider? I'm going to smack it away. I'm going to push it away. And it wasn't until that he actually realized the good that it had done for him that he realized the joy that came out of it. This is the same kind of idea as righteousness. Often righteousness can be perceived as a threat because this is what righteousness does. It exposes that which is wrong around me and that which is wrong within me. It becomes this mirror that we look upon and we have to make a decision. Am I actually going to Pay attention to what it's revealing or I'm going to push it to the side and continue on as if nothing is wrong. Because, here's the thing, righteousness is transformational. It's going to transform you one way or the other. The question is, are we going to allow it to transform us into the likeness of Christ or are we just going to allow it to just push us away? Righteousness is and it can be and it always will be transformational. Righteousness exposes the rottenness and either we open up to its goodness or we feel the need to move it out of our way. We don't become perfect. But we do begin to change. And we become set apart and marching to the beat of, of a different drummer. Because if it's transformational, then the gut takes us to the second thing. Righteousness is confrontational. Over the last few years, we've seen movements, conversations come to the forefront within our, our cultural purview on the idea of, of racism. And we've seen the response that people have had around it. And I, and I found it really interesting that even when good things are being said, so we, think, we see something like the Black Lives Matter movement and this need for conversations about why racism is, is systemically impacting our culture today. Good conversations that need to be happening. But how quickly there is this confrontational pushback that wants to point to organizations, and hear me, I'm not trying to align with one side or the other or to say one is perfectly good and the other is perfectly evil. But what happens so often when righteousness comes into the equation, right relationship, bringing that which is broken right into the world, there is a confrontation that wants to delegitimize it and despise it quickly. I remember like the, the conversation of the Black Lives Matter movement came out and then Almost the next day, there was a conversation about how it was led by a neo-Marxist approach that was going to somehow debilitate our, our political structure and everything should fall apart. So we shouldn't even be having these conversations. You see how it doesn't, it, anything that threatens the status quo of those who are actually holding power within our culture immediately reacts and revolts against righteousness. Righteousness 
demands that all who are broken and hurting and pushed to the side and seen as less be given the authority and power that comes through a relationship with Christ, to experience the freedom that culture and society does not offer. And how many of you know change does not come easy? Change does not come easy for us personally. Moving from one city to the other, getting a new job, moving from one house to another. Change is hard. Who likes moving? Nobody. Nobody likes moving. That's the answer to that question. Uh, Change is hard. And when a transformational shift happens within our, our own lives and within our culture, confrontation is guaranteed. Righteousness, the pursuit of rightness and right relationship in our world will upset and overturn the balance of the status quo which works for so many people. And this is what Jesus does. He gets in a lot of trouble for simply doing righteousness. Because he not only spoke, he acted in a way that kind of rocked the boat. Matthew 9, verses 10 to 12 says, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus' way with people upset the religious establishment's whole concept of righteousness. And it's the same one that exists today, whether it is with, from a religious mindset or within our cultural mindset. And it's this, is that people had to shape up first before coming home to the Father. But Jesus taught, just come home and the shaping up will follow. This was righteousness at play. And what happened to Jesus when he began to actually live that out? He was persecuted to the point where he was killed. This is, this is a historical truth. Jesus was killed by the religious authority because of his righteousness. Jesus violated many, many rules. And rules that were supposed to actually draw people to God that were pushing them away. We we hear stories of of Jesus healing people on the Sabbath and how they rejected him because of it. We we, we see how people have prioritized their value systems. And when Jesus confronted their value systems, they rejected that as well. There's a story in Matthew chapter 8 of Jesus going over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And he, he, uh, he, he calls out a demon and he pulls it into some pigs nearby, and they jump off a cliff, and they all perish. And you would think that the people of the area are going to be so excited for this man to no longer be demon-possessed. And what's the response of the people? Anger. Because the freedom of a person is less important than monetary success. And that might sound like a harsh statement, but I think we actually abide by that statement in many ways today. Jesus confronted their value system by making something that was wrong right, and he was immediately rejected. Righteousness is confrontational. And remember the correlation of righteousness and justice, that when we work for justice in the world, it will upset the status quo, 
because righteousness is confrontational. And number three, righteousness is inspirational. And this is what happens exactly in Jesus' story, that all those who were broken and beaten down by the cultural moment and by the religious authority and by the political oppressors, all those people were the ones that were flocking to Jesus because they were hearing for the first time that they matter. That they're not forgotten. That God still loves them. Because the righteousness that Jesus was living out was inspiring them to believe that they could actually be more than they were. That they could respond differently and live differently and hope differently than they had ever done before. And this is what Jesus ends with here. That in all the ways that we begin to see the kingdom of God, that we understand the kingdom of God, then we're able to call ourselves into that story. When we are persecuted for standing up for those who are marginalized, voiceless, and powerless, this is when we are blessed because this is when we come into alignment with everything that God imagines for the world. You're not blessed for holding religion up in front of people and annoying them or bashing them, but you're blessed when you're pursuing right relationship in a manner that reflects Jesus and invites them into that inspiring story of hope that we find through the person of Jesus himself. So why was Jesus persecuted? For the sake of righteousness. And this is not meant to be a pathway to persecution. This is not meant to like give us an opportunity to go put a badge on our chest because we got persecuted. Well, we checked that final beatitude. But it is an encouragement from God that when persecution comes, because it will when you follow Jesus, when persecution comes, he's near to you. Because blessed are you Because the kingdom of heaven is yours. That he's near to you. Jesus is saying, and maybe this is what you need to hear this morning. Your commitment to me will always be dwarfed by my commitment to you. So stay the path. When it gets hard, continue to follow me. And know that you are mine and I am yours. Worship team, you can join me at the front. Blessed are you who are persecuted because making things right isn't going to be easy. You're doing this in my name and people hate you for it. But you're just trying to do the right thing. And so he says, rejoice. Be glad. There's a, there's a translation that actually says, leap for joy. This isn't just a, a, a minor way of being happy. It's leap for joy because your reward is in heaven, because you get to identify with Jesus, and because if you've gotten this far and you're pursuing me and experiencing persecution, you know for a fact your faith is genuine, and there's joy in that. So look to me. Your righteousness is worth it. We've reframed our Beatitudes to kind of give us a better understanding as we've gone through this series. So our reframed Beatitude for today is happy are those seeking to make the world right between others. Persecution will come as the kingdom of heaven collides with the kingdoms of this world, but joy will remain 
because yours is, not will be, not might be, yours is the kingdom. Do you see why we need to hunger and thirst for righteousness? It is the kingdom of heaven coming up against the kingdoms of this world. That's why there's confrontation. The real question of whether what you're doing is right or righteous is just very simply, does it look like Jesus? We don't have to overcomplicate it. Am I doing what I'm doing for the sake of others? Am I doing what I'm doing because I want to look like Jesus or is it out of some selfish desire, out of an ambition that's unhealthy? We know ourselves. We're, we're familiar with our, our, our worst traits. But what we see is this book-ended gift of the kingdom of heaven. And then we see who's occupying the Beatitudes all the way in between. So this is the end of our Beatitudes portion. So let's look at the Beatitudes and who occupies them. Someone who came from poor, insignificant circumstances, who mourned and grieved over the state of the world and over the people he met, and was extremely important, yet he did not think of himself as important. And he longed to see God's world step right. And so with small acts of mercy to hurting of individuals, he showed pure devotion to the cause of the kingdom. And he inserted himself into the dangerous situations between people who hated each other. And he got persecuted. In fact, he was killed for it. And the death of Jesus, who was the embodiment of the beatitudes, of the blessings, the death of Jesus is not the unfortunate death of a social worker. His death is actually the way that he epitomized the values of the kingdom. By setting aside his status and as the representative for us all dying in our place as he took unto himself the consequences of what we've done to others and what we've done to ourselves in God's world. And in his resurrection... From the dead, Jesus shows commitment to the goodness of the world and to redeeming it. Because that's what righteousness is. Taking that which is broken and believing it can be made new. It can be made right and it can be redeemed by the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus. So he offers us this morning hope and forgiveness and life to all those who would grab hold of him in faith. Romans 3.22 says we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. When we are brought into relationship with God, we experience a righteousness that transforms us, that confronts us, and that inspires us forward to be who we have been created to be. The righteous the ones to bring right relationship. The ones to see what God sees and say that's not right. That's not of him. I want what God wants. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For some of you this morning, I don't know where you find yourself on that track of righteousness. Maybe you feel like you're being transformed 
and you're, you're trying to discover what that feels like. Maybe this morning you've actually felt confronted and you've thought about moments where you have actually pushed aside justice to hold on to your privilege. And maybe this has been a morning where you felt inspired. God in heaven, you've given me so much. The, this right relationship that you've made possible, make me one who seeks those right relationships in this world. Wherever you find yourself this morning, know that he is near and that is the promise. And he wants for you to experience all that he has in the fullest. Would you close your eyes with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the way that you have shaped us and molded us in, in this series and confronted so many areas of our lives that we just need to offer unto you. Thank you for this constant call that you want us to be reminded of, that you're with us, that you're near us, that you're close to us. And the invitation this morning, I pray that we would be a people who are righteous that we would walk into our, our schools and our workplaces, into our homes, into our neighborhoods, into our cities, and we would see what you see and desire to make it right. That our hearts would long for right relationships in all the spaces around us. That our hearts would long for justice to be brought forward in this world. That our hearts would long for the things of your heart I pray that we feel uncomfortable this morning. That you pull at that which we refuse to let go of because it's comfortable and convenient. For all that we resist you, I pray that we get pulled a little harder this morning. May we be a people who are righteous, made in your image and drawn to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.